0: So hello and welcome. Happy Friday. Today is Friday May the 19th and this is Backyard Beekeeping questions and answers episode number 208. I'm Frederick Dunn and this is The Way to Be. So I'm glad that you joined me today. You might be wondering what's going on outside other than the fact that the world is swarming at the moment. Pun intended and uh, 62 degrees fahrenheit it's windy right now how windy six mile per hour winds that's nine kilometers per hour and 62 degrees fahrenheit is 17 celsius 71 percent relative humidity so that's good because they're trying down some nectar out there there's a lot going on i appreciate for those of you who submitted your topics over the past two weeks actually because remember last week i blew everybody off and left where did i go I went to the Harrison County Beekeepers Association in Ohio. They invited me to give a presentation there. I know they invited me to talk to their people. at had a really good time so I'm thankful for all the people that I met. got a chance to talk about bees and yes I introduced some things that people had not seen or heard of before and that's my goal when I give a presentation in person. So that went really well. Not too long of a drive for us here so uh, other than that it might rain tomorrow saturday so the bees are busy today but it's overcast overcast and windy would this be a good day to open up your hives no way and uh, of course i had swarms recently the last couple of days there are swarm videos that you should really check out one about a self-hiving swarm of bees that was really fantastic because i was in a pickle and i was trying to make a decision about uh Two different swarms that were obviously about to take off they had already left their hives and they were just bivouacked in a temporary location so you know time is of the essence we don't know exactly when they're going to leave you can look at those clusters and you can see if there's a lot of dancing activity on the surface of them that's a good indicator that they're probably getting an idea of where to go but uh, i decided to vacuum one off of a corner post in my field And uh, while I was doing that, by the way, that video is going to come out soon. While I was doing that, I could hear a swarm take off. Of course, the one that I decided not to vacuum up took off. And, uh, you know, that's always depressing because where are they going? If they don't land in a tree, they're already bivouacked, right? So they're going to their final destination. It's not like they're going to zip over and land on another tree, although I was hopeful that that's what they were doing. They didn't where they go right into one of my own beehives an empty hive that had been cleaned out after a dead out from last winter so it was an empty hive sitting there in my apiary in fact i had plans i was going to break it down it's a double 10 so two deep boxes 10 frames each all drawn comb by the way so it's a fantastic hive to move into and what they do? They moved right into that one, so it was kind of perfect. I think it's oversized for them, but we're going to see how it goes. So it's a great opportunity to look them over. So those are bees that volunteered to stay with me right here in my own apiary. So some of the things we might want to talk about: to uh, do, to do, 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 do. A lot of people did have questions because they noticed off to the side that uh, there was a cluster of bees hanging on a tree branch. That was pretty keen-eyed, by the way. I think I have some above-average viewers really pay attention to the periphery of what's going on in the video sequences and yes there was a cluster of bees on a tree branch in my lower apiary which is to the west anyway um, yeah that's a QMP pheromone lure why on earth do I put a QMP lure on a branch well for one it attracts uh, bivouacs so bees that are swarming might land on that branch then again as proven they might not So what do I do with it? Why do I leave it there? Well as the cluster of bees builds up on that, because all it is is a synthetic pheromone lure. There's no queen there, and there's no queen in the little clusters that gather there. So what I do is, for example, recently I did a split where I pulled a couple of frames of brood and a queen cell, and I put them in a nucleus hive box. Five frame nuke, five over five, so it's a double decker plenty of drawing comb everything's ready to go but we need that queen to emerge from her queen cell fly out get mated and come back so i thought you know why not boost their manpower in that hive so what i've been doing and i highly recommend this because it's purely it's just fun Uh, these bees have no queen they left their own hive so remember they're kind of traitors So they left their hive, they followed an unfamiliar pheromone and uh, collected on the branch. So I walk over there with my pillowcase looking butterfly net and I shake them into it. Then I take them over and I put that net in contact with the front of the hive I want them to go into. And in this case, the nucleus hive that I feel like could benefit from more foragers. So that the bees that are inside of that hive from the split would have time to do the interior hive duties while I have guaranteed foragers ready to go so i bring them over there i lean it up against the entrance where do they go they go in so and this works over and over i started doing this last year and uh, it's not something that i would include in training or swear by yet but uh, it's working so often that it is a fantastic way to boost colonies that need more foragers what if they stray what if they drift who cares they're bonus bees in the first place But what's interesting is the first few of them that go in there, because they'll leave the QMP lure for another colony that's already housed. They don't even have a mated queen in there yet. They just have the pheromone of a colony that's raising a queen. It's already capped; She could fly out at any time, but they went in there anyway. So the longer they hang on that branch, the more willing they are to occupy a hive, but you have to physically present them to the hive physical contact, direct. It has to lean against it. They won't fly in the air, find an opening, and go in. But we do know that honeybees drift. Foragers can go to a bunch of different colonies. That's how we end up with bees are hanging on a branch. That's just uh, its a lie. It's a queen mandibular pheromone that comes from better bee. It's sold as temp queen. That is not what it's designed to be used for. It just happens to be what I use it for. And so different periods of the day when there's a lot of bees flying around nice hot day unlike today uh, you can shake bees off of that into something that's easy to carry that's easy on the bees and i highly recommend cotton muslin cloth and uh, if you buy like a fishnet or something like that get rid of the fishnet part and use it as a pattern and use pillowcase material cotton and uh, make a new net with that a little shallow one would be good for something like this And I have a really big one that's an 18-inch diameter hoop and it's a very deep, probably 30-inch deep, cotton uh, bag. And that's what I use to collect swarms if they're easy to collect on a tree branch like that. So having that right in your own apiary, shake them off, walk them over, when you're just looking for something to do and introduce them, sit down, drink your coffee and watch them all go in. And then go and clean up your net and uh, be ready for the next time. That's what that's for. It was not another swarm but uh, I think it was very interesting that uh, people saw that so what else is coming up Uh, we're doing the Colorado BVAC demonstration on the corner post so that's coming up horizontal hive updates so we're going to do inspections and I'm going to try to use those as uh, educational training events here on my property so we will go through those Uh, all of the horizontal hives are doing extremely well so for those of you who are wondering about horizontal hives They're fantastic. The lands, the Longlang, they're all heavily populated. I believe my lands hive swarmed and that's perfectly fine with me. And the reason that's fine with me is there's too many bees in there anyway. Way too many bees in the lands hive. Okay. So, and there's a dynamic there. You know, once you know you have a swarm and you collect it, you hive it somewhere else. What's your next opportunity? Walk right over, open the hive that they swarmed out of because what are you going to find? Capped queen cells, usually multiples of them, What an opportunity to create splits, nucleus hives with those capped queen cells with the frames of brood that they're attached to. Easy as pie. And of course, don't forget to leave some in the hive that swarm because they have to have their replacement queens as well. But if you observe a swarm leaving a hive, you happen to be there, you have an opportunity to get right in there and create splits. They're overpopulated anyway, one of the reasons that they swarmed. So. Lots of good stuff there. What else is going on? That's about it. Okay, so let's get right into the very first question. If you want to know what we're going to talk about today, please look in the video description and all the topics are listed down there in order as well as any potentially you know useful links that might go along with the topics if there's further research. So the first question comes from Daniel from Vancouver, Washington. Are there any thoughts about misting bees with 30% vinegar as a mite treatment? I've heard it talked about a few times now. Okay, so this is one of those things and uh, I'm glad the question was asked because I don't wanna just respond to the question. I wanna make this kind of a how to read beekeepers when they say things. So, because sometimes these come from, you know, people with big beekeeping operations. And uh, they may just say things like, I think that is really helping out my bees. I've used this on my hives and I think that uh, there's a vast improvement in my bees because of it. And so you have to listen to the language that's being used when there are claims like that being made. You know, I put this on my hive and I just know they're doing better. I even listened to a presentation. Uh, a pretty large collection of people and the presenter simply said this is what I do because I think it works and if I think it works that's good enough for me and I thought that's really interesting but what I want you to do is and I'm not saying that doesn't mean it doesn't work that's just not a way to figure out if something's working or not. So since this topic came up it's just an opportunity for me to kind of key you in on making sure that we're listening to what people are saying, how they're saying it, and what the origin of what they're doing is. And if you know that the way I work in my apiary, I don't do one thing across the board to all the colonies at once. And I don't have a lot of colonies. I don't have hundreds to make comparisons. So if you do have the benefit of hundreds of colonies of bees, I understand that commercial beekeeping puts you in a position where you wanna maximize your income and productivity from the bees, and that if there's an idea that something might improve that return on your investment, then people tend to jump right on it. And my cautionary tale is, uh, do this incrementally, do this with some of your hives, not all of them. Because if you do it on all of your colonies at once, you might have just had a great year in your apiary, and then you might just assign that to something new that you're doing to your beehives. However, if you do it to some of your hives, and you don't do it to others, in the same apiary under the same environmental stresses and the same benefits as far as forage goes then you will start to see trends and your statistics will be better right and i know this boards a lot of people but when i get questions like this apple cider vinegar uh 30 so specific dosage too and i'd like to remind people that when vinegar is being used for bees it should be the apple cider vinegar not all vinegar is designed to be consumed so I want to say right up front I don't endorse that activity and here's why Um, if you look into the science behind uh, why people are using some apple cider vinegar in something that goes into your beehives in this case the individual was spraying it on the bees okay there's no evidence that I can find anywhere if you can find it my thoughts are open my mind is open to new information as always Uh, But there's no information that uh, supports that uh, you can use apple cider vinegar in any solution and uh, have an impact on Varroa destructor mites. So the speculation comes from scientists that are looking into uh, apple cider vinegar, and not just apple cider vinegar, but the fact that it acidifies, that it changes the pH factor of the food resources that you're making available to your bees. And then there can be other stretches because when some bacteria, some uh, infectious material in your hive gets exposed to a higher acid content, right? Uh, There's some evidence that at the cell level, they might self-destruct, they might break down. So then there's potential. Now keep in mind, potential doesn't mean they've arrived at this is what happens. So that's the other part of what I want you to hear. When people say, I think this is gonna work, We're working on it. We're doing research. I would sit back and wait for that research to come to fruition. Wait until they publish a finding. Wait until they know for sure I'm personally not going to open up my hive and spray down my bees, brood, and everything else with a 30% solution of apple cider vinegar. I'm not because there's nothing that supports it yet. So, uh, altering the pH, because there's a lot of people that talk about pH. If we put sugar syrup in there, here's the argument. I guess I could present that a little bit. Some of the argument is that when beekeepers are feeding their hives, so this is when it comes into play. This isn't based on bees that are getting forage from the environment. This is when people are putting in syrup, fondant, things like that that by acidifying what you're putting in there, you're bringing it closer to the pH that the bees would prefer in the environment for their own consumption. That somehow if the pH, if it's less acid, then you may actually be, may be, not will be, you may be feeding some of the detrimental um, pathogens that are going to be inside your hive, one of those being foul brood. So, What we really want to do is keep our bees as healthy and fortified and fed and cared for as we possibly can so that when they are facing disease and pathogens, which they frequently do, uh, that they're able to cope with it. And that's kind of at the basis of what people spraying the bees might be. But my concern is when someone goes in, all in, they make a change, they make the change for all of their bees all at once. When you do that, You have no comparison. You don't know why your bees did better that year. On the flip side of that, if they all did poorly that year, it's not necessarily because of what you did. Because you can't make that connection unless you have what's called a control. Whenever you're coming up with an experiment to do, no matter how basic it is, you have to have a control. Which means that would be a colony of bees that is not receiving whatever treatment or configuration change that you're introducing. If you do it to all of them, You have no idea of knowing if they're doing better or worse I think you understand what I'm talking about so when people say I feel like it's helping my bees hmm, based on what question everything look at the way the test was done look at all the other contributing factors to the success or failure of whatever was going on so I say wait for the research on that we can't say that because here's what will happen by the way Because we know that if you Google and you want to find out what the number one concern is on beekeepers' minds, this is why so many videos are made about it, Varroa destructor mite. So the minute you put something about the Varroa destructor mite in the title of a video, it's going to get a lot of attention. Because there are so many beekeepers that understand that that Varroa destructor mite and the pathogens, the diseases that it carries, are the number one threat to your honeybees, whether you're a backyard beekeeper or whether you're a commercial beekeeper the uh, stakes are bigger when you have a commercial apiary so as soon as someone says this works against Varroa destructor mites there are people that will jump right on that without doing all the background research that i highly recommend you do so look for publications look for studies and go to people that you trust go to people that uh, you understand or staying reasonable that have a conservative approach that uh, really want to vet out and to think about the science behind what's being claimed and how it even could impact the bees good or bad you need to understand uh, what impact a variety of different things may have on the biology of your bees so that's it i say no don't support it yet wait and see that doesn't mean it doesn't that something won't come out someday that's useful useful but for varroa mites don't you dare In my opinion, if you're listening to me and you're going by what I say, don't you dare go out there and squirt down your colony with a bunch of vinegar, 30% and water or syrup or whatever you're mixing it with. Uh, I don't think it's going to knock out your burrow destructor mites. Question number two, moving right on, comes from Dahlia. I had a horizontal land hive that died in winter due to wasps then be robbing. I did not open the hive before recently following your advice to not open it before the weather is good just in case the hive survived and I removed the frames of dead brood and a frame of honey I was hoping to use the hive as a bait box so I cleaned the hive and added lemongrass thingy from Dr. Leo and left two frames of brood however I still saw bees and wasps going into the hive so I decided To take the brood frames so wasps won't go into the hive. Is that a good plan? So I'm going to pause right there. Uh, I think it's a typo here where it says I left frames of brood. I think brood frames because if you had dead brood still in the frames that would be something you would definitely want to clean out uh, and address before putting it back in a colony that you want to reoccupy with bees. So, But brood frames are really good because they smell good. They smell like bees and that's what attracts future residents of a hive the fact that it may smell good to the bees and that they could then move into it Um, and if wasps are cruising through there especially those brown colored wasps the paper wasps that we see scooting around they're notorious for just inspecting and moving out of there although if it's a large cavity that's left unattended by bees they could start to build their own paper wasps nest in there because i've used some species of wasps in my apiary in boxes just as a deterrent to the yellow jackets which they don't tolerate and I did a video about that but uh, so no I would say definitely keep those frames in there because if you're getting activity and inspections from bees it's got their attention and the bees will investigate everything as we learned yesterday that was just yesterday that uh, the bees are exploring hive boxes that you've got sitting around in your apiary that's why by now you should have all your winter dead outs cleaned out and as a at a minimum all the dead bees out any uh, leftover capped wax with the with honey in it any of that that's still in there should be removed so you want to present a dry clean space to any future occupants because it's twofold one you're getting the box ready for yourself to do a split and reoccupy it if you do that or you might catch a swarm and then hive it like that because if you don't have boxes for them to move into then you're running around and uh, it's kind of stressful so I think having uh, hives from your dead outs unless there's evidence of disease you want to clean them out really good, clean them up torch the interior surfaces if that's what you like to do Um, and just clean them up and make them workable so that when you do get a swarm or something like that you have a box ready to go and yes, leave those hives right in your apiary. And the reason I do that is uh, for convenience, it's not because I'm lazy, it's because that's where I'm gonna put them anyway if I catch a swarm later. And years ago, I was being inspected by the State Bee Inspector and we were looking around and he was actually inspecting every single one of my colonies of bees and uh this was like in 2008 or 2009 and he looked over and said what about uh, those bees And i said oh those are just hives that i stacked over there in that rack that i'm going to use later he goes nope they look like they're occupied so then we of course went and looked at them and sure enough i had a volunteer occupation of bees there so i had a swarm apparently that moved in completely you know something I was unaware of and uh, which meant also that because I didn't clean it up right because I didn't put all the frames in that I should have now they drew comb all the way down from the inner cover wherever there were no frames in that hive they had comb all the way down which had to be cut out because you can't have it you're supposed to have it in frames that's one of our requirements but uh, so early on I learned that unoccupied hives that have been previously housing swarms housing colonies of bees for any period of time they smell right they smell right to the scouts, scouts check them out and then later of course you run the risk and benefit of having another hive of bees another uh, swarm of bees move into the hive so it worked out really well worked out for me recently and it is not uncommon at all uh, to have bees move in uh, without you even being aware that they did it what was cool about yesterday was they started moving into the hive while i was around i noticed it i was making a video already so my camera was ready to go and all i did was follow the swarm around into the next apiary yard and uh, went right over and sat down next to the hive that they were moving into and captured the whole process so had i been on vacation let's say then uh, those bees would have moved in and i would have just come back home and said wow i thought that hive was empty and uh, here it is occupied and they're fully functional and they're flying out today they were doing orientation flights and they're already going foraging for resources all great signs and uh, so I think that uh, bees cycle in and out of hives often without us even knowing about it and this ties into some other things that uh, you might come across videos about colonies that claim to have been occupied for 15 years 20 years or even longer without the help of a beekeeper and they'll find old beehives, and uh, people will often say, yep, that colony has occupied that hive continuously all this time. What well, we're unaware of, unless you're watching these beehives all the time, uh, they swarm out, they may abscond through the years, uh, they may die out in wintertime. And then in the spring, what happens to a dead-out? Well, it gets robbed if there's any resources left. And after that, what happens? Uh, wax moths fly in, lay their eggs. And now we have the wax worms, the wax moth larvae, crawling around in there, consuming old wax and everything else. Wax worms can even ingest plastic, it's pretty interesting. So these are nature's, this is nature's disposal team. So then once they clean everything up like that, what's the next thing that happens? Scouts come in, they find it to be a suitable space, and then another swarm moves in, and you've got another box occupied the following spring. So it looks like a continuous occupation, When what really may be happening is the fact that they're cycling through different colonies of bees over the years in the same hive boxes, the same configuration, just as they would in a bee tree. So it's very interesting what goes on, and they could do that without our help. In fact, I've had thoughts about it, but I wouldn't do it. Not really doing it, but I was thinking about the Thomas Seeley approach of uh, Darwinian beekeeping. And what if I configured all of my Langstroth hives, deep boxes, medium boxes on top, insulated inner covers, and just closed them up and then left them on their own. What if I just walked away from my apiary and turned it into an observation apiary? Now this is kind of negligent on the part of a beekeeper. So it's just what I was thinking about How long would the apiary survive if I didn't touch another hive? If I didn't pull them apart, if I didn't inspect them, if I didn't do anything other than walk around looking at landing boards and see what's going on. Uh, It would be interesting to see how they maintain themselves through the years and uh, just what they dwindled down to. So natural beekeeping, by the way, I have an interview coming up that I hope you'll watch. Uh, Natural beekeeping practices have been the least successful beekeeping practices here in the united states so i'm trying to i'm kind of a hybrid between kind of natural and swarming and the cycling of bees in and out and then of course soft treatments whenever destructor mites are present so anyway moving on with this hoping to keep the brood frames to attract swarms yes keep them but it seems it only attracts wasps robbing bees so far still put it in there anyway Because if they're robbing, what are they robbing? If there's any remnants of uh, nectar and stuff in there, let them have it. Uh, I do recommend not putting in capped honey, not putting in syrup, not trying to bait them with food resources to get other bees interested in that. We only want potential residents. When we have open house and you're trying to sell that residence, you only want potential buyers. We don't want the people that are in there for the free cookies and coffee and everything just to nose around and then leave. So offer no cookies and coffee and you'll find out that the only thing that comes through that door will be the scouts that are seriously interested in occupying that residence. So that's an analogy that I just came up with. Anyway, so I have to remove the frames. That's it. Uh, Looking to settle or robbing. So I would keep it all. Keep those brood frames in there. Keep all the frames that you think you should. And... uh, make sure it's occupied because once they move in now it's a mess if you get a colony or a swarm that moves in to a hive the way mine did yesterday if i wanted to get in there right now and manipulate frames it's a huge mess because there are so many bees much easier while the box is empty to do all your maintenance clean up organizing and get it ready for the next uh, occupants as best you can question number three comes from scott from uh, texas I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, Claiborne, Texas. I've trapped a couple of swarms almost a week apart. My question is, the first one has eggs and uncapped larvae. I want to do an OAV treatment so I can do the one and done until August. I'm feeding the bees using frame feeders. Do I need to remove the feeders when I treat and replace and fill after treatment or can I just leave the feeders in? so if you're doing oxalic acid vaporization treatment you can leave your feeders in you can leave your honey supers on of course your states will have their own restrictions and guidelines you have to follow those but uh, here where i am you could do that i don't use frame feeders myself why because it takes up space that my bees could use we one frame one deep frame let's take an example like this one one deep frame that's over six thousand bees if that's a brood frame about it you're going to tray that out so you can put sugar syrup or something inside your hive and occupy the space that this should be occupying i don't do that i highly recommend for those of you who are beginning and just configuring your hives um, put all the frames in that are supposed to be there put your inner cover on and do your feeding in hive feeding on top of the inner cover and there are many reasons why i want you to do that and again, of course, you can, you can do anything you want, but this is, this is why I personally recommend it. Uh, if you want to check your feeder, and it's a frame feeder, you have to open the cover of the hive. You have to pull off your inner cover. You have to invade the space that the bees are in, which means you likely have to smoke them as well. I would really like to get you to limit the number of intrusions on your bees. Uh, and I also would like you not to get into the brood box for example which is likely where that frame feeder is going to be Uh, to pull an inner cover you are invading your bees and we know that it stresses them no matter how cool you are and how much your bees like you Uh, whereas if your feeder was on top of the inner cover all you have to do is pull out the outer cover look at the feed, fill it, replace it, service it, whatever you need to do and you have not had to smoke the bees you have not had to open them up and invade their area and uh, you don't have to fill a frame feeder and you're not taking up a space that could be used for bee resources highly recommend not using frame feeders so to do to do to do to do, 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 do but as far as oxalic like acid vaporization treatment you can do that here in my state um, With honey supers on, feeders in, anything, it's not going to be detrimental to your bees. Question number four comes from James, Roseburg, Oregon. I have several hives that have swarmed, lots of swarms. Some people have reported this year they've had more swarms than they can ever remember having. And uh, I don't know that that's terrible. Also, if somebody says that they can guarantee that this is how you're going to stop your bees from swarming, I think that's a little bit concerning. First of all, the biology of the bees is that they're going to swarm. You can have big hives, you can you can add supers, you can create more venting, you can reduce, you can do all of the key things that uh, you know trigger a colony of bees to swarm and then have them still swarm. So just as I said with the very beginning question, if somebody says, this is how you stop swarming, I'm going to say uh oh i don't know that anybody can stop swarming altogether now the verbiage would be better if we just said this is how to increase your chances of keeping your bees from swarming but when there are absolutes i don't know that uh you know i was hanging out with uh steve Respecki, uh rapasky steve rapasky who is uh, the author of swarm management And uh, last Saturday at that uh, symposium and uh, he is a swarm expert he doesn't know how to stop swarming but we know how to reduce or mitigate the potential to swarm but you can't completely stop it it's going to happen so don't be terribly upset what you really should be doing is preparing yourself for when it does happen how to manage them hopefully collect them while they're in that bivouac location and rehive them now sure it's a good idea to do a lot of the things that you can do to expand the hive give them more space um, check on the bees to make sure you understand if their population is reaching a critical mass or if they're being backfilled with too much nectar during a heavy nectar flow and getting potentially honey bound you need to be aware that that's going on in your different hives so that you can do these things expand contract and so on at the appropriate time of year. So right now we're in a state of expansion because your colonies are in rapid growth. But uh, be very careful about how do I stop swarming? Uh, You can't really, because that's how can you stop biology from achieving its goal. Uh, Every living thing has the goal of reproducing. Your chances of stopping that are not going to be 100%. So anyway, question number four, um, several hives that swarmed more than usual this year. I have also caught more swarms this year than last. My question, can you combine a swarm to boost a swarmed colony? This, this is key in the question here. This after the swarm queen has been removed. I hate to lose my honey crop due to lack of workers. So yes, and this is one of the first things I did when i was studying swarms uh, because i was trying to get video sequences of every stage of swarming uh, i had a contract actually to follow bees get them when they choose a site for the bivouac assembling of the bivouac departing the bivouac and then moving into their final cavity uh, so these are big tasks but uh, if you can remove the queen because i did that part what do they do when the queen is absent if you're looking at a cluster of bees on a tree branch or something like that and they're packed really tight and there's not a lot of movement and they're really set that lets you know they've been there a little while too and the tighter they are is usually because it's colder it's raining it's just they just came out of night time that kind of thing uh, if you can get in there and locate the queen and i've been lucky enough to just be on the right side of that swarm mass right when a little opening there's always some kind of vent opening in there and they're venting from the center of this cluster because it's really warm in there. I don't know if you've ever stuck your hand in one, but it's very warm. And then the queen scooted out, came across the surface and went right back in the hole. I couldn't believe that I saw the queen come out there like that. So yes, I had a queen cage with me. And the next time she came out and did that, I collected the queen off and I put her in my queen cage and I put her in a holding spot. What did the bees do? Uh, They stayed clustered, they stayed tight, just as they were. So I thought, huh, that's weird, with the queen absent, they should be in disarray. So then what happened was, another queen in the same cluster came out, did the same thing, got her. Now as soon as I collected that queen, I put her in another cage. This is why I highly recommend you carry around those little plastic queen cages. can't believe I don't have one just laying here. Yeah. Well, here's an example of one this is what they call the roller pin you know the hair roller but uh this you can snap off one-handed if it's been used enough but you get a bunch of these and carry them this is really for queen production by the way but uh they work great as temporary queen cages put your queen in close it up and then if you find another one of course you know you can collect a bunch of them have them in a cotton pocket that breathes for example But you can hold them and as soon as they got the second one um, they started getting animated because almost immediately they could sense that the queen's pheromone was gone and so it kind of went as a wave through the whole thing and they started looking all over they seemed to shovel not only that they started spreading out on the branches of the tree that they were on and they started feverishly searching for the queen that they have now lost which was the reason they were clustered And within a matter of minutes, they all flew off. Where did they go? Right back to the hive that they left. So to answer this question, yes, you can combine swarms. So if you get a swarm, and this is the key part, after the swarm queen has been removed, once you get that queen, they'll do two things. One, they're gonna follow another queen pheromone that you're providing, which would be this other swarm that you've hived. Or, in the absence of any other queen pheromone, they're going to return to their originating hive. So it's a great way to recover your bees for that hive. So I was all excited back then when I did that because I was always told that once they leave, they never come back. But it's very common that if something happens to the queen, uh, if she's injured while they're traveling or something like that, um, then they will return. The other thing i've learned is they don't all go home they, they follow queen pheromones all over the place and they're apt to go to any landing board because when they're in a swarm state they're full of resources they're welcome almost anywhere a starving bee is not welcome a starving bee sometimes when you see these bees they try to pass inspection on the landing board and you'll see the guard bees stop them and if they don't stop when they're trying to be Paused by those guard bees, they'll actually start to bite them and hold on to them. And then you'll see two or three bees grab onto them. And the bee that's trying to enter submits. It sits there and waits and they kind of work it over. If they like what's going on, they'll let that bee in. If they don't like it, they'll chase her off the landing board. One of the things that I noticed that they're doing when they're deciding if they like the bee that's starting to come in, it's clear that she's not from that hive. Uh, They also do a little trophallaxis exchange. They'll stick their tongue out and see if she's carrying enough resources or if they like what she's carrying. And if they do, she's in. So when they show up full of resources, they're in. So these bees that are out as part of a swarm, they're loaded with resources and therefore they have the potential to follow any colony. And uh, I think those numbers are much higher than most people know. So that's it. And I hope that works out. Yes, you can combine them. You can put swarms together. In fact, I was just looking at a, this ties into that. I was looking at a video this morning uh, with Jeff Warchoff, Mr. Ed. He did a video and he was using uh, he does ripouts, And I think he had uh, swarms already in his, I want to say, is this the everything bee vacuum? It's a bee vacuum that you strap on your back. That's battery powered and it's shaped like a bucket. He already had a swarm in it, and then they went on and they did a cutout, and he combined the bees from the cutout with the swarm that he already had in the bucket, and then he had to really look for the queen. So that's very interesting. So check out Mr. Ed's video that was posted probably yesterday, and uh, you'll be able to see that that combination uh, happen the way Jeff did it. And uh, he has interesting approaches, too. It's just a lot of fun to figure out what bees will do under different uh, circumstances. Question number five comes from Mike, Lower Hudson Valley, New York. And it says right here, one of my overwintered colonies went queenless mid-April. No eggs or young or larvae since then. I have seen the queen cell in the middle of a frame and four queen cells at the bottom of the same frame. I think that's great, by the way, that's insurance. So it shows that they didn't go queenless uh, by accident when they were built. These uh, cells are at the edges of the lower portions of the frame. I think that's intentional. During the last two inspections, I've noticed that the queen cells seem to be getting chewed on not open from the side, like might happen when a new queen kills its sister queens, but completely chewed down as if the bees are removing the queen cell. There is one remaining capped queen cell. Again, okay, I'm gonna pause there. This is a lengthy question, but I wanna pause at that one. I've seen that same thing happen. Sometimes, listen to this. This is just another monkey wrench in the many ways that things can go in your bee yard. I had a colony that was requeening itself like this and I highly suspect because this exact same thing happened. They had several queen cells and I was monitoring that and uh, the queen cells got chewed away completely. In fact, they just packed the wax right back up against the lower part of the frame and the queen cells were completely gone. Guess what else happened at that same time? There were eggs in those cells. Now that doesn't match the calendar, does it? Because if there'd been a swarm And then there's queen cells that are capped that are generating the queens that are going to replace the queen that left with the swarm there hasn't been enough time for one of these queens in these cells to emerge from her capped queen cell and and get out mature and become sexually mature because they're not ready to fly and mate the moment they get out of their queen cell it takes time then they would have to fly out then they would have to mate then we'd have to come back But see, within days of a swarm, and capped queen cells present, and now they're chewing up those capped queen cells, and there's eggs. I'll give you a second. What do you think happened? I'll tell you what I think happened is another queen from another colony did her virgin flight. She flew out, she got mated. She came back to the wrong hive. Then she landed and went in And now she's laying eggs right away. So I think that sometimes this is probably pretty darn rare. The queen comes back, especially when a bunch of colonies are very close together. And a returning queen can go into the wrong hive. Guess what that colony needed? They need a queen. They're missing their queen. They have queens in cells. Now they don't need them anymore. They chew them up. They have a laying queen. there. pheromone dominance. Boom. What do you think of that theory? I think that has happened more times than we know. And then somewhere out there is another colony that sent out a virgin queen that is now queenless. And I think you'll find that out when you start to do your hive inspections again and you think that they should have a laying queen when they have no evidence of a queen at all and this is where your valuable resource hives come in. Anyway. Uh, It says here, I would like them to raise their own queen, though I am interested in trying to harvest honey from that colony this season, if possible. If they're not successful with raising their own queen, I was thinking of requeening that colony with a queen from a mid-April 23 swarm capture. I've been helping that... uh, as a resource hive instead of adding a frame with eggs for them to work into a queen for themselves since this would put me past the main local nectar flow which is beginning in July. The queen for the swarm capture is laying very well and that colony is filled up, a double deep five frame nuke, three weeks. Those they do extremely well in those nucleus hives that is constantly being reinforced. These five frame deep nukes stacking them up it is a great way to build resources. I'd also be interested in having the swarm capture colony requeen itself for the experience of that. My question is any advice or concerns on requeening an existing colony using a swarm capture queen? Well, here's the thing for that you already know that that queen that you captured that was a swarm that you put in that nucleus hive as a resource, they're building up fast, her laying patterns are good, the temperament of those bees is good, and uh, you've got a good colony there. Yes, take that queen and install her in your large established colony. Why not? Now she's got eggs and everything in your nucleus resource hive and they can produce another emergency queen cell from that and recycle just that way. So, and my concerns with that was last year I did that almost in a reckless way. Anytime I need a brood, eggs, a queen, something like that, I just took them from resource hive and plugged them right into the established hive. When I did that, they requeen themselves at regular intervals. They were very successful and I wanted to keep them small because I wanted them all to be in nucleus hives and not overwhelm them. Some of those nucleus colonies got so big and so populated. I had to find reasons to take their resources. So I had to find a hive that was even marginally behind and pull a frame of brood here and install it in that hive. Um, So that's how I kind of kept them under control. So it does work. Is it better to combine the original colony with a swarm capture colony? That's always an option. But when you do that, if you've got your swarm capture colony, which is your resource colony, you just eliminated your resource. So I recommend keeping the nucleus colony going, taking their queen and installing them in the colony that you want to use her in to keep them going. And then later, if you decide, or let's say they end up queenless, let's say they don't replace her and they fail at that. Now we can take the bees that are in that resource hive and we can combine them with that original colony they're already related to one another They will likely be accepted very quickly so it is easy to do that and your kind of your timeline there is you don't want to leave your nucleus hive without a queen for more than three weeks max the reason for that is after three weeks you can have laying workers and you have another problem or should I leave the swarm colony alone and not use any of its resources. No, I would use those resources. Absolutely. That's what I would do. I hope that's helpful. Many options, many choices. Question number six comes from David from New York City, New York. Good morning, Fred. I'm looking at your plans for your horizontal Langstroth hive and I'm going to build it. Two questions. Is there anything specific in the build that I should be aware of? The plans look pretty straightforward to me, so I wanted to double check. Nope, there's nothing to change. Those plans are spot on. They're perfect. Thanks to Ross Millard for formalizing my hand-rendered plans of that Long Langstroth. But it's good to go. The feedback is fantastic on this. Number two, more importantly, my wife and another, my wife, another world-class artist in the ilk of yours wants to put plastic foundation in the frames. I don't think that can be done but I wanted to double check and find out why. From your videos you stress the fact that bees make holes in the better bee, which is probably better comb. That's what this stuff is, that's better comb, pretty drawn out synthetic beeswax that so the bees work just like their own uh, and they do, they chew it and shape it uh anyway uh, stress the fact that bees make holes in the burby and in the foundational frames they would what would happen if all foundations were plastic and that's the cover shot for today it's actually called cutting corners and that's why um if we take this frame right here and i hope it shows through There's a notch cut out right here. This is helpful. This is one of the reasons why wooden frames and plastic inserts. This happens to be an Acorn heavy wax plastic insert. If you buy your frames like this, the one piece plastic frames, I uh, find that it's difficult to make holes if you're trying to put passages in here. I used to talk about this with the owner of Acorn before he sold his company. And uh, he was right. You know, no big surprise there that if we had punch outs in the middle, that the bees would make uh, drone comb there. But if you notice, they have cutouts in the corner here, cutouts in the corner here, and you'll notice when you look at acorn frames that they're pre-perforated. I don't find that very convenient. Just take ten snips and uh, cut the corners yourselves, and you can cut this little V right here. And the reason I do that is because uh, I find holes just about the center or a little off-center under the frame bar in um, foundationless frames. So when they've made all this beeswax themselves, they tend to leave a couple little holes through here. And then you'll see on the frame next to it, there'll be another corresponding hole there. So they have a pass-through. Now the way the Long Langstroth hive is set up, the ones that are in my plans, and those are free, by the way, to anybody that wants to use them. Uh, the bees can go up over the top of the top bar of their frames and because there's bee space here and there are cover boards above that so it's 3 eighths of an inch so bees can go over the top but I find that they sometimes will use these holes but nine times out of ten they plug it up with drone comb or they just glob a bunch of weird wax there so the interesting part is if you make it and they don't use it fine if you don't make holes like this and they do want to have a pass through there uh, they can't do it the bees cannot chew through this acorn heavy waxed plastic foundation so it's up to you to provide them and i call this cutting corners right and so it helps your bees sometimes they use it sometimes they don't but uh, for david here his wife can rest assured that putting Uh, I highly recommend acorn uh, heavy wax foundation inserts and you can cut them and uh, the bees can leave them open and use it so yeah it's easy to do but what I do do in the horizontal long knife stroth hive um, if I'm trying to get them to expand fast I do use the better comb you said better bee but it's called better comb and it's sold by better bee uh, the bees will work that. So those are my brood frames. So once I know that that first six or seven frames in the Long Langstroth hive will be used for brood and those resources, um, you can checkerboard it so you can have a frame that has no foundation and you can put the frame that's got the drawing comb. Depending on the time of year that you're trying to get them going right now, they're going to draw wax. They're going to do great on their own. If you know it's a colony that you are not going to um, be drawing honey from this year, so in other words, if you're going to leave it to these bees to build their infrastructure exclusively, you're not going to take any honey off of that hive. You can give them one-to-one sugar syrup to help them uh, draw their comb, especially if you have storms coming when it's raining and everything else, they start to make use of that. Um, Don't do that on a colony that you plan to harvest honey from. Also, our time period for open feeding, sugar syrup and stuff like that has passed because honey supers are on most of our hives now. But, uh, so there's a lot of things that you can do and Better Comb helps you along. If you put foundationless frames in there, they're gonna take a lot of the resources, in fact, the bulk of the resources, just to draw a new comb. This is why it's so valuable to the bees when they find a box that has frames in it with drawn comb present, because that means they get in there and go to work immediately. It's uh, something that they don't have to use all their time and resources to do. So what else here? And thanks for the reference to my wife's artwork. It's that chicken uh, that she drew for me. It's on t-shirts and thank you for those of you who are buying those t-shirts and sending me pictures of yourselves wearing those chicken t-shirts. That shirt comes and it says on the back, uh, don't forget the chickens, because that was the note for me on the microwave. And uh, it's on shirts now and on Mother's Day, our son, Justin came over and he was wearing uh, one of her shirts. So I thought that was really funny. Turns out to be a very, very popular. It's a tongue in cheek, funny story about chicken art. Anyway, and it's on Teespring. If you're looking for that, I'll put a link to that down in the video description. Question number seven comes from Renee from Virginia. I have a strong hive near Virginia Beach two 8 frame deeps and a medium super with a screened bottom board. I noticed some of the bees were pooling under the screened bottom board, not bearding in the front of the hive. We've had 60 and 70 degree days during the day and 40s at night and the bees were still under the bottom. This is key by the way. And I added another full empty box of frames and attempted to place most of the bees inside on top of the honey super. The next day, a small cluster still formed under the screen bottom board. And today I noticed the population has grown back to the original size outside the hive, even though the Knights are still in the forties. What's happening? They have plenty of space inside the hive. Are they just hanging out or are they about to swarm and just waiting? The active bees are bringing in nectar and pollen rapidly. The colony looks healthy and plenty of fat drones. I have an extra hive box if I need to scoop the bees up and move them into another location. Thank you for your insight. Okay, so for Renee, here's what's happening a lot this time of year. By the way, uh, I'm not a fan of the open screen bottom boards. I like to have screen bottom boards are great because they can help with integrated pest management Varroa mites fall through Uh, but i like to have it enclosed and a solid bottom board under that and it would prevent things like this from happening if it were the smells coming out of the hive that were attracting those bees there but that's not what i think is happening here's what i think is happening that hive has swarmed and they didn't have a place to go so they didn't go to a bivac location like they should Where are they bivouacking? Instead of on a tree branch or on a fence post or something like that, where are they? They're collecting with their queen right underneath your hive. Sometimes they can do this right on the face of the hive. They just won't go in as described here. No matter what the temperature does, the cluster stays outside and they won't go in. That tells me that a queen has departed from that hive, that this cluster is with that queen and that they have decided to swarm. They just haven't left. This is counting as their intermediate location. Instead of being inside the hive, they're now outside the hive. They're gonna stay there until they're ready to fly off. Now, the fact that they're attached to a screen makes it a little challenging. If it were on the front of the hive, you could sweep them into a um, you know, a butterfly net like I use or something like that. You can collect them up. You can spritz them with sugar syrup or something like that. Definitely not while they're cold. But I think you have a swarm on your hands and you're right you need to move them into another hive box the perfect size hive box for them would be a nucleus hive <clears throat> so I think you've got a swarm and they're about to fly so when they fly now when they leave the hive clustered underneath on the front on the side wherever they've clustered because they're not going in and they should be um, they've already satisfied that intermediate location so now they can go to a final destination and you can provide them with that so and I hope you do, and by now of course, I don't know if I responded to this right away, I probably should have um, because you're about to lose those bees and uh, that's it, I think that was a swarm and they were headed somewhere and you had a chance to hive them so if you're listening right now and you've got that situation where you've got bees on the front of your hive side of your hive, under the hive, and even when it cools off they're not going in and you don't see a bunch of active fanning like they're dehydrating down their honey inside. Those are all keys that let us know you've got a swarm that's bivouacked on the hive. <clears throat> Question number eight comes from Trish. This is my first experience with overwintered hives. I moved them outside a few weeks ago. First inspection showed a small amount of capped brood larvae and eggs. Second inspection showed more capped brood, larvae, and eggs. They are putting up lots of honey and capping it. Some honey is bulging out to the point I couldn't get the last frame back in without destroying the capped honey. Do I leave the wonky capped honey or remove the frame and replace with an empty frame for them to draw out? That's a good question. And this is one of the reasons why when we put our frames into the hive uh it's very good to identify and mark each frame so i like to number them and i had a recent question about you know numbering frames when we say the position one or position 10 what are we talking about is it is number one when you're standing on the landing board it's the number one frame on your left or number 10 frame on your right and of course that assigns itself to a 10 frame hive um, i recommend numbering them and this is the reason why if you've got you know, some curvature because when one frame gets built out too far, uh, the other frame accommodates it. So now you've got this concavity on one side, convexity on the adjacent frame. So if you pull it straight up, yeah, you're going to disrupt it, you're going to dump a bunch of honey out of there, and you're going to create a mess for your bees, and it's going to make your inspections a little challenging. So, and I highly recommend that you use grease pencils to mark the back. And if you've got some contoured comb like that, mark those frames. And that way the next time you're doing inspections you'll know that when you get to the frames adjacent to that that you'll instead pull it to the side so you can pull the other one up i leave them in those configurations i don't cut them down but that's an option also since it's early on you can bring your bucket out there i always have a stainless steel bucket with me and that's where i put all my scrapings so all the burr comb that i'm scraping off um if you have to shave down one of those if it's contoured out the other one's contoured in you have to now change the order of your frames otherwise that concave side will just facilitate your bees drawing it out again so now we'll change the position of your frames and you'll take your long serrated edge knife and you'll cut it off right into your bucket right there and even up those frames that comb then you'll change the position so we don't have the concave one still here we'll move it a couple positions over assuming this is not brood if it's brood you're stuck but this is honey so then you'll take the next frame and you'll push it right up against it the next one that's nice and even and you put your concave frame up against that so now we have another guide and they'll fill that out and so that's your options even it up or deal with the fact that that one's contoured and that you have to pull frames to the side first then pull them out when you're doing inspections but uh, either way works and if it's early in the season you could bite the bullet and just shave it down and shape them as is so that was question number eight now question number nine comes from Jordan from Belgrade Minnesota I'm a paranoid beginner and I was wondering how soon after installing a package Could you treat with Formic Pro? I have screened bottom boards and four days after installing the package, I removed the insert and counted over 200 mites. I want to stop right there. If you bought a package of bees from someone and in just a matter of days, you've got over 200 mites on the removable tray or the insert underneath that colony. Um, I would not be at all happy with that. Uh, You got a package from someone who's not taking care of their bees. They should not be shipping that many mites with a package of bees. Um, That's more than a little annoying. Anyway, I wanted to treat them early before temperatures got too warm, but I'm not sure how long after install I should wait or if seeing a lot of mites on the bottom like this is typical. No, it's not typical. That's a lot of mites because that means those mites just reached the end of their natural life and died. You've got mites on your bees. So this is not a good situation. So are you just being paranoid? No. So here's the thing. I would not use Formic Pro, however. Formic Pro is to be used on colonies that are big, established, large populations, and, uh, you know, they can handle it because you're gonna lose a bunch of bees when you use Formic Pro. It's temperature, um, you know, it depends on specific temperature parameters for you to use it correctly and so on. It is not for the treatment of packages. What I would recommend is using oxalic acid vaporization Uh, If you don't have the vaporizer, there's a method for spraying the bees with it, but it's less effective. I highly recommend if you don't have one already to get even one of the pans, for example, for uh, sublimating oxalic acid. You have an opportunity window here before they cap. We know it's infested and you need to really get those mites under control because this is a colony that showed up infected. It's not just the physical mites uh, that are on these worker bees they are infected because all the pathogens that mites carry have already been passed on to these bees. So this is not a healthy package of bees that somebody got from somewhere. Uh, But for me, oxalic acid vaporization, no brainer, hit them uh, on the seventh day that you have them. That's what I would do. Right away. I would not wait. The good news is there's plenty of time here for Jordan. The bad news is do not use Formic Pro, you'll do a profound damage to those bees okay so that's it for today now we're in the fluff section i just want to give a shout out today to uh, a young beekeeper who's got i like to support the youth whenever we can and uh, we've got a young beekeeper named Rainier Eich like maybe it's pronounced like Mount Rainier r-a-i-n-i-e-r-e-i-c-h the reason i mention Rainier is because he reached out to me. We're going to do a live chat tonight. So at seven o'clock Eastern time, United States tonight, um, we're going to do a live stream. He's hosting and he asked me to uh, interview with him. So we're going to talk. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to support our youth. Uh, He's a teenager, lives here in the United States. And uh, we're going to have a good visit starting at seven o'clock tonight. Uh, I will post the link down in the video description. If you're watching this obviously on Saturday or Sunday, you missed it already. But uh, that's tonight. I hope you'll join us. And uh, other than that, I hope that you're making preparations for dealing with swarms here in the United States. If you're in the Southern hemisphere, of course, you're going into winter time and I've been way behind in getting my winter prep video for you guys ready to go. Uh, but that's in the works everything's all set up and all i have to do is make the video so that's coming your way and uh, for those of you who have beehives that are empty that were dead outs just a refresher on that Uh, make sure to clean them up get everything ready to go and what's involved in cleaning it up just making sure if there are dead bees on the bottom you sweep them all out if you can pull all the frames out go ahead and lightly flame the interior surfaces if it's a wooden hive of course and uh, Put put in your best frames. Frames are all in good shape. If there's any evidence of brood disease, pull those frames, get those out of there. Um, uh, any evidence that uh, they wouldn't be the best frames. If there's a bunch of old pollen, really old, sealed up, things like that, if you can pull and replace those frames, this would be a good time to do that too. And With the old stuff, you can power wash them, 10% bleach solution afterwards, dry them out in the sun, and put them in storage for other uses because Drawn comb is always going to be valuable and uh, when it comes to brood comb that's been used for a long time, I'm not a huge fan of that when it comes to rendering it for beeswax. But it has a strong scent to it. It lets all the other bees know and the scouts that are visiting the hives that it's been occupied before and that they should occupy it now. So use your equipment for hiving swarms and you might luck out just as I did and get bees to move in on their own. So thanks for being here i hope you have a fantastic weekend ahead and even though here it's going to rain tomorrow we have a very good sunday so be ready to work your bees thanks a lot for watching